Welcome back, everyone, to the PFN Premier Fantasy Football Podcast. I am your co-host for today, Tommy Garrett, Senior Fantasy Analyst here at Pro Football Network. You can find me over at Twitter, at Tommy Garrett PFN. Joining me today as we go in through another look at some of these dynasty players, this time with a chance that you're trying to sell high on them, is going to be another fantasy analyst here at PFN. That's going to be Jason Katz. You can find over at Jason Katz with Z13. My man, how you doing today, bud? I'm doing great. Uh, I feel like we talk, say this every year, but like, man, it's mid-June already. Where, where does all the time go? I don't get it. It's like they say, like, the days get shorter, like, time goes quicker the older you get. Like, I don't see how much quicker it's going to be. I swear to God, the other day, it was literally, I was getting ready to watch the Super Bowl, and now we're, like, mid-June at this point. Like, I don't understand how this stuff happens. And I, I know that we say it every year and people are probably like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, we always say that. Oh, time goes fast. Well, it does. It goes really fast. And I, I was just remembering yeah. at the end of the season, we're like, man, season's over. We got a little time off. And now all of a sudden it's mid-June, soon as July, and we're gearing up for yet another season, full steam ahead of NFL football. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest things, too, is like, I, I guess maybe it's part of the job. Like we're in this kind of stuff every single day. And for me, like days blend together. When it comes mid-season, I don't know what day it is. The only way I do is based off how many games are being played and what game it is on the calendar. That's the only way I know what time of year it is. This time of year, I got nothing. I have nothing to tell me what day of the calendar it is. Um, yeah, maybe it's just, like I said, time just goes quicker anymore right now. Uh, but speaking of time, we'll kind of get moving right along on this one. In the last episode, we kind of talked about some dynasty targets to potentially buy low on. Um, I know you had some good, I know I had three, I think you had three on those. I think we're going to continue the same trend on this one, but kind of just flipped around. We're going to talk about some dynasty candidates that you might be looking to sell high on. I think before we get into this, uh, the caveat I want to throw out there, I know me and you have both expressed this both several different times, like going back for a long time now. Just because someone is labeled a sell high does not mean we think they're a bad player, nor do we think that you should absolutely must sell this player. Like, Selling how a player sometimes is just based off the value. Like, are they being probably valued higher than where they maybe should be? Is there, if they're going to go down at that point, maybe next year, then yeah, it was probably a good time to get off these guys. But like you don't have to trade away good players. Contrary to what every single like advice I keep seeing out there, like, oh, wow, Cooper cup just went off. Better go sell him now. Jonathan Taylor was the RB one. That never happens back to back. Go sell him now. Dynasty is all about acquiring as many good players and giving yourself as much talent on a weekly roster as you possibly can. But if you can sit there and capitalize on maybe on some value or trade back a tier and gain other assets, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But just because someone does something well does not mean you instantly have to trade that player. It's okay to hold on to some of these guys. I mean, I'm pretty sure you feel the exact same way, Cats. Like I've seen, we both had this exact same conversation. Yeah, it's so frustrating, especially in Dynasty, when somebody has a monster year and the reaction is, well, they can't do that again. Okay, so that doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that Cooper Cup has to have the single greatest fantasy season in wide receiver history to be worth keeping. He could just be a 22 points per game guy instead of 25, and you're perfectly fine with that. You don't say, you really got to complain about that? (laughs) Exactly. I think that Dynasty managers sometimes, because it's like this year round thing, they just want to trade. I mean, I'm sure you've got guys in your leagues oh, who are like that, the trade happy guys. They just want to trade. They just want to do something. And that's how you get yourself into trouble. You should only be making trades when it benefits you. Don't trade just for the sake of trading. It's that whole thing about also knowing the calendar. Like, when is the right time to try to sell players? Like, when are you trying to buy and trade assets? It's like, it's like the stock market. You got to know when to buy and know when to sell. Don't try to buy rookie picks right before the draft. 
you know, don't try to sell veterans like the minute they have a great time. Like you've got to know when to try to move some of these guys. And hopefully with some of these names, like it's not too late to make a move if you want to before the 2022 season. Uh, but I think what we'll do is, Cats, I'll let you start things off with your first guy that you think managers could sell high on heading into the 2022 NFL season. Uh, my first guy is a quarterback. It is Justin Fields, and this mm. is a quarterback that I like a lot. If you search through my Twitter history, you might see some tweets of me saying I like Justin Fields more than Trevor Lawrence. As it turns out, in 2021, the answer was neither. But but right now, no one's going to mistake Fields for being more valuable than Lawrence. At best, maybe they're equal, but probably not. But when it comes uh, from a fantasy perspective, Fields is a borderline QB1 in dynasty circles. He's kind of just outside that top 12. He averaged just 11.4 fantasy points per game last season. Mm -hmm. How much better do we expect him to be this season? Managers expecting Fields to run and push QB numbers due due to his legs. uh, They're banking on that for him to succeed. What if he doesn't improve, though? If he doesn't have a significantly better second season, his dynasty value is going to drop. This is not about Fields as a player because I I do still like him. This is more about what can we expect from a Bears offense that did nothing to improve their offensive line with a wide receiver core that has Darno Mooney, who I like, miscast as a wide receiver one when he's really more of a wide receiver two, playing alongside Byron Pringle, Equinemia St. Brown, Daz Newsom, and 25-year-old rookie special teamer Bellis Jones. Fields' top two targets are likely going to be Mooney and Cole Komet. It's hard to feel good about Fields in 2022. So from a dynasty perspective, if you're not expecting him to have this big season, then going into 2023, his value will likely be lower after after two straight seasons of being unproductive than it is right now. And that's what makes him a sell candidate for me. When it comes to quarterbacks, how much does it change in your opinion about whether or not you're ready to buy or sell a player if it's a super flex? Like how much more leniency do you give to a quarterback at that point? It's it's tough when it comes to super flex because quarterbacks are such a valuable commodity. Any starting quarterback has value. It doesn't matter how bad they are. If they start, they have value because even the worst starting quarterback is going to get to like 11, 12 fantasy points per game like, like Fields did last season, which is wide receiver three numbers. You could trade Sam Darnold right now. And that goes to tell you how much value you can get actually out of any quarterback out there. Right. And you and I probably feel the same that Sam Darnold will not start in the NFL beyond this season. Sam Darnold has already gained the reputation and it is the worst reputation you can get in the NFL. He's a KC. He's a coach killer. It's the one thing you never want to be labeled in the NFL. And Sam Darnold already has that on him right now because it didn't work out in New York. And right now, Matt Rule is already on the hot seat, having gotten rid of of, uh, Joe Brady last year. Whatever happens with with Sam Darnold this year, good luck with him ever trying to find another starting quarterback spot again in the NFL. Yeah, for for Fields though, I, I can't I can't say he's a must sell in Superflex because of the value shift in quarterbacks, and mm-hmm. because regardless of how Fields performs this year, I am confident he will be the Bears starting quarterback in twenty twenty three, and th- that's enough to keep him valuable. So in Superflex, you can always trade him as long as he's starting. In that case, it's a little different, but in single quarterback leagues, I think now is the right time to move on from fields unless you really think that he is he's going to break out and have this monster season. Yeah, it's that whole book. How much do you think Matt Nagy was just the anchor to his fantasy value? How much was that dragging him down? Um, I think it was obviously a good a good portion of the blame is going to go back on to Matt Nagy. I would have I loved to have seen what Justin Fields could have done at the back end of like that 2020 season where Bill Lazar kind of took over. And that was when David Montgomery was kind of having his breakout. Alan, Alan Robinson was good. Like the bears were finally a very fruitful team to have fantasy stock in. Like I would have loved to see what Justin Fields could have done in that. We'll see what he does this year. Because like I said, the team 
did a weird thing. And when you have a young, unproven quarterback with a ton of upside that you selected in the first round, they they selected a defensive-minded person to be their head coach in Iberflus. Normally, you see guys going with the, it's like that whole Sean McVay thing. Find the hottest, youngest guy that has a, a football mind that somehow has breathed the same air or was in the same Starbucks as Sean McVay or hire them to be your head coach. And all of a sudden, you're hoping that a quarterback is going to flourish. Looking at you, Miami, with Tua. Um, so I think it's an interesting thing to see what what they did. It's going to come back really onto Luke Getzey at that point, how much he picked up out of the uh, Chicago playbook and work with Matt LaFleur and that whole kind of system. So we'll see what happens to Justin Fields. Um, I, I want to be in on Justin Fields. I want Justin Fields to be good. Don't get me wrong. So do I. But I'm kind of with you. If you got someone who is all in on Justin Fields, I'd have no issue moving him, even in a super flex league. I understand there's a little bit of a risk in there. Um, but if I can get back another quarterback in place, like if I can get like a Derek Carr and something like that back plus, you know, I would I would do it all day because I think Derek Carr has a far better chance of being a QB one over the next three years than where Justin Fields is right now in his current situation. Like it's not a knock on fields. I just think where Derek Carr is probably in a better spot and I just have a little few more question marks. Like I said, it's when it comes to trading, it doesn't matter how much you like a person. The only thing that matters is what someone else is willing to pay. That's the value of a player. So even if you think someone is sell high, if no one's going to give you the proper the proper value for them, don't move them. Wait until the time is right. Um, so yeah, Justin Fields, I think it's an interesting name. I think it's going to be one of those we're definitely watching throughout this whole year. And I think him, him kind of like Trey Lance also, if Trey Lance does get the start, those two, like, we don't know what they're going to be quarterbacks. Those will be interesting narratives kind of watched throughout the season. Um, I think we'll start with the first one for me, and I'm actually going to go with the running back position. The guy who I really actually liked when he came out of college. I thought he was good at Alabama. Goes to the Las Vegas Raiders and has been nothing but a workhorse. That's going to be Josh Jacobs, who's now heading into year four. Um, look at his career so far. It's been nothing but solid production. Those first two years, almost 270 opportunities and almost 230 opportunities. I'm sorry, 320 opportunities in 2020. Last season, those did dip, although he still played in the exact same amount of games. Only saw 281 opportunities last year. Still, that's plenty of volume. I'm not I'm not worried about the volume because it's still equated out to a, a top 15 finish for Josh Jacobs last year. Rushed for almost 900 yards with nine touchdowns, 64 targets, 54, uh, 54 receptions, 350 yards, and no touchdowns. So look, the thing that we saw last year was, you know, everyone always said, wait till Josh Jacobs starts getting targets. Wait till he starts getting opportunities. And he finally got those last year, and it worked out really well because it added a ton of upside to his to his game. And that's why he finished last year number 11 in expected fantasy points based off his opportunities, coming in just over 16 points per game while playing on 55% of the snaps. Like Once he got healthy, he was in a great spot. For me, I think the question mark for Jake is, is not so much what he's going to do this year, but where is he next year? Because Josh Jacobs right now is actually entering into the final year of his contract. Um, what do the what do the Raiders do? Because you drafted Zamir White, um, who I think could literally be the number one on this team, if not for Josh Jacobs. Um, he's a guy you would love to have in a committee approach. So for me, I think given the landscape and how much is going to shift, especially next year, because if you guys don't know yet or you haven't been paying attention for a little bit of time, next year's draft class is kind of stupid. It is chalk full of players. And I think we're really going to see, like, especially the running back position. I think the running back position between now and this time and this time next year is going to completely shift. 
So a lot of these running backs who are not on secure and secure contracts or are the lead running back on their team, we could see them all of a sudden finding themselves in a little bit of a messy committee with one of these guys. Like when you start throwing in the names of B. John Robinson, Jamar Gibbs, Sean Tucker, Zach Evans, Tank Bigsby, uh, Devon Acne, uh, Deuce Vaughn, Zach Charbonnet, um, Blake Corum. When we start throwing the names of these guys into the mix next year, if they all do come out, this is going to change so much. That's one of the things that I'm worried with with Josh Jacobs. It's it's not so much his role this year. I think his role this year will be fine. But for me, I would like to get ahead of this. And especially if I'm targeting one of these 2023 picks, I kind of want to do it before a lot of these guys in my leagues are really diving into next year's class. So if I can get back a, a solid player in return along with a 20 of oh, the shot at 2023 for Josh Jacobs, it might not be the best move right now. Cause I think he's still going to be fairly productive this year, especially on a Raiders offense that is chock full of weapons. You know, they bring in Devonte Adams to pair alongside uh, Derek Carr, get it back as old Fresno teammate. Although you're still probably the fourth in division, that's going to be a great offense. It's going to be a great team, especially with uh, uh, Josh McDaniels now as the OC. I think we're going to see the Raiders be a very competitive team, but I'm just looking at the overall situation trying to look down the road. And for me, Josh Jacobs is this guy that if I could sell him at the right cost, I would probably do so in Dynasty. I was never a big Josh Jacobs guy. I always felt that he was viewed more highly than he should have been because he was the best running back in that class and was overall a pretty weak class in 2019. It was. And, I mean, I, there was some debate between him and Miles Sanders because Miles Sanders did look good coming out of Penn State way after he started filling in for Saquon Barkley. I don't think he was the runaway. I, I agree, but you you know full well that I was never exactly a fan of Miles Sanders. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, that's why I'm the one trying to defend Miles Sanders, give him a little bit of, of credence here. I, I knew you weren't going to do it on your own. Now, when it comes to Jacobs, though, I will give him credit. He has been far more effective than, than I ever expect him to be. And it's interesting because if you look at his final numbers, Remarkably consistent, right? 2019, 2020, 2021, 14.7, 15.4, 15.1 fantasy points per game. What's interesting about that, though, is the way he got there in 2021 was nothing like how he got there in 2020. It last season, the outlier. Yeah, last season he was consistent across the board. Pretty much, he's he's like get you anywhere from like 14 to 16 points every week, with the occasional spike, with the occasional down week. But he was pretty solid. Whereas in 2020, it was it was just spike weeks and utter disaster he scored uh 35.9 points in week one 22.5 in week five 29.6 in week 10 and he had two other 20 point games then he had a bunch of games where he was under 10 points that was jacobs then so who's the real jacobs well it's hard to say he did have Mm -hmm. a much higher target share in 2021 and that was one of the things that we really like to see bumped up to 12.4 percent which was 11th amongst running backs that gives me hope for him having a role in the future but I, I kind of agree with you here in that the Raiders didn't pick up his fifth-year option. So that mm-hmm. sends the message to me that uh, that he's not going to be there next year. And like you said, with all these running backs joining the NFL, are teams going to want to sign a 25-year-old Josh Jacobs? Which isn't old, but still, 25-year-old, second contract. Is team really going to sign him to make him their three-down running back? Or is he going to end up being part of a committee with a rookie where maybe he plays just the passing-down role that he really – we thought he would play – with the Raiders, but it really wasn't used that way under John Gruden. It's it, it's tough to see his value ever being as high as it is right now beyond this year. So, so I'm with you there. I, I think that Jacobs is someone you you should sell now to a contender who's really looking to compete this year. For me right now, if I have a running back who is looking to go onto their second contract in the NFL, I'm moving. Because that's just not what the NFL wants to do. The NFL is not going to give these guys these massive second-year extensions. Like They're not going to do what the Packers did for Aaron Jones. They're not going to do what the Carolina Panthers did for 
for Christian McCaffrey. That's just not how the NFL goes anymore. There's a reason that the um, the franchise tag was only $9.5 million for their running back position. Three. It was an all-time low. Um, so like for me, it's all the money's going to these receivers. Running backs are now a, a dime a dozen in the NFL. So as much as I still say that running backs matter, the NFL and where they're putting their money at says that they don't to them. So for me, if I'm looking at a guy who's coming up on the end of his contract, I'm looking to move on. Um, I think one thing one thing I do I did want to add to this too, and I think adds a little context to why Josh Jacobs got so many more targets. We got to remember, like, there's a correlation impact between how each position impacts the other ones. Wide receivers and running backs, not as much, but when it comes to targets, there is definitely a higher correlation between tight ends and running backs. They're kind of working in the same area of the field within the same A dot. It's that whole window they're kind of working in. Thirty three. Um, reception, 33 targets, 25 receptions, 170 yards. That was what Josh Jacobs got during the time where Darren Waller was out. So we look almost half of his work came within a a five-game window. So I think that's something that we'd have to consider too with Josh Jacobs. Is it likely to stick again this year? If Darren Waller is back, I don't think we're going to see that exact same kind of window where he had seven targets, nine targets, six targets, and two games with four targets kind of mixed into there. I don't think that's going to be that, to me. That seems like the outlier in all of this and definitely add a significant boost to his window. I think he probably drops down more towards career average. But like I said, for me, it's more so with just I want to get out of some of these running backs going into their going into their second contract, especially when they have the fifth year decline. Um, that'll be the first one for me. What do you have for number two for you in terms of a, a player you want to sell high on? Yeah, well, speaking of running backs that don't necessarily catch passes, that's who my number two player is. And that's Nick Chubb. And there are a couple of reasons I consider Chubb to be a sell high. And let me just be clear. I love Nick Chubb as a runner. I think he might be the best pure runner in the NFL. I mean, this is a talented running back. No argument for me. I mean, he's yeah. right up there with Jonathan Taylor. And, and like, look, as much as we want to talk about Saquon Barkley, Saquon Barkley, when he is as a pure runner, is fantastic too. Like there's some guys who are just incredible. Like Derrick Henry, I think Saquon Barkley, um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I think Nick Chubb is absolutely up there in terms of the best pure runners in the NFL. Absolutely. But he will turn 27 years old before the season ends. And you just brought up this influx of talent we're going to get next year. And if you look at the top like 12 to 15 running backs right now in fantasy, specifically for 2022, we've got a lot of guys that are around age 27, 28. I mean, I think that that the if you look at the, the redraft running back ADP right now, and you and, and you look if you, if you remember this somehow in 2024. And whatever that looks like compared to now, I think it's going to be just worlds different. It's going to it's going to look like a different world in, in 2024. And that's, that's kind of crazy to think about. But that's how quickly the NFL changes. And with Chubb, I kind of want to get out before it's too late. He enters 2022 with exactly 1,000 career touches. That's not a ton, but it's still, he's getting up By there. By no means. We've already seen Chubb's ceiling. 17.3 points per game in 2020. But in 2019, 2021, 15.9, 15.4. This is who Chubb is, a 16 points per game running back. He had a 6.3% target share last season, 5.2% the year before. It is damn near impossible for a running back to get to 20 fantasy points per game without being involved as a receiver. You just can't do it. Browns have Kareem Hunt, Dearness Johnson, drafted Jerome Ford. All three of them are going to play that passing down role ahead of Chubb. So it's not even like the anomalous 2020 season where Chubb saw an uptick in receiving when Kareem Hunt was hurt because there was nobody else. If Even if Hunt or, or if any one of them gets hurt, it doesn't matter. It will not be Chubb. It's going to be someone else. Uh, Deshaun Watson has got his off-field issues, whatever that is. He's probably going to get suspended, but he is their long-term answer at quarterback. He targeted the running back position just 17% of the time in 2020. 
Chubb does not have any receiving upside. He is not getting any younger. And running backs like him, I, I mean, I am getting some serious like Sean Alexander type vibes where if you remember the monster that he was in the mid-2000s, then all of a sudden, just I absolutely done. remember because the Steelers played them in the Super Bowl. I remember that Super Bowl. I was, I was, I was rooting for the Seahawks then, and that was an interesting game, but, <laughs> to say the least. But yeah, I was a big Sean Alexander guy. I loved him. I loved Matt Hasselbeck. I loved that team. And then the next year, all of a sudden, it was just a decline. And then two years later, done, gone, pretty much out of the NFL. And, and I, I fear that if, if, Chubb, if Chubb has a similar arc or, or just in the sense that he, I don't see a world where his value is any higher uh, entering his age, 20, age 28 season in 2023 than it is right now. He lacks league-winning upside. I think now is the time to sell Nick Chubb while he's still being ranked as like a top 12 fantasy running back. I think it makes a ton of sense. Um, I still think like Nick Chubb, he is a special running back on the ground. You want to talk about a guy who has the chance just to every single year, you would think he can run for 1,500 yards? Got it. Cool. I'm not going to argue with it. You think he wants to run for 14 plus touchdowns? Cool. I'm not going to argue with it. But you think he's going to get 30 targets? Now I think I'm going to have an argument with you. Like, it's, it's just not a thing that he really does. Like even next year, if Kareem Hunt is no longer on this team because he is in the final year of his deal here, and we'll see what happens with Kareem Hunt and what, what's going to happen with this, quite frankly, with this entire team because they're getting away with it with Deshaun Watson's contract by only having like a million dollar cap at this year. All of a sudden it's about to balloon to $40 million. There's going to be some massive changes that take place on this team. Um, I still think Nick Chubb is going to be an incredible run, but you talk about the, the age cliff and things like that. There's a lot of metrics starting to work against Nick Chubb. I think he's great. I don't think he's a must sell. And quite frankly, look, if you're trying to win right now, then I think he does make to have sense on your roster, but you look, you want to look long-term projections like down the road, yeah, I think Nick Chubb is it's a candidate. We were talking about like moving on early. I think it does make a lot of sense. And that's the thing um, that, you, that that's an important point to remember when it comes to selling these guys. A lot of this is in context of what your dynasty team is is trying to do this year. Are you trying yeah, to win a championship? You've got to know your roster. I, I don't know your roster personally. So it's you've got to be able to self-evaluate where you are now. Am I trying to compete? Am I looking to the future? Am I kind of in a productive struggle? Like where you are, like on your in your build of your dynasty team. That's got to play a massive impact on what you do with some of these guys because not all of these need to be sold if you're especially if you're trying to win right now. All right, Tommy. So hit me with your second name. Okay. Uh, this one's I hate doing this. I I personally hate it for me. I've got to mention Rashad Bateman. Uh, as much as like for me, Rashad Bateman came into last year's class as one of the most pro ready players of it and it just took like some incredible play by guys like Jamar Chase by Jalen Waddle and Devonta Smith for us to kind of forget about Rashad Bateman for a little bit he also started the season off slow obviously the core muscle uh, surgery ended up delaying him once it came out onto the field in week six he showed all the signs of being the Ravens number one recorded 34 targets in his thir- in his first five games ending the season with 68 ends up being a 16% overall target share um, caught 46 passes just over 500 yards with a touchdown posted 50 yards or more in five of those games, finishing as a top 36 in each of those contests. I, I think the upside is is massive for Rashad Bateman. He has zero competition for targets this year at the wide receiver position. As much as I like Devin DuVernay or James Rocher or even Tylen Wallace, none of them are going to be able to come in here and have the same type of impact that like a Marquise Brown did on, on Rashad Bateman. None of them are going to really rival him for targets. For me, the number one guy in targets on this team is going to end up being Mark Andrews. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a surprise, but I would not be surprised if both Andrews and Rashad Bateman both clear a thousand yards. My issue, and I think where I'm concerned after Rashad Bateman is going to be no matter how much of the target share he gets, it's going to be a diminished 
target share in terms of what everyone else in the NFL getting, who else you're comparing him with. Because right now, Rashad Bateman, you're seeing him going well inside the top 20 uh, of startup drafts. I'm seeing him going, I'm, I'm talking positionally, by the way. I'm seeing him going as like the wide receiver 16 to 20 in some drafts. I get the upside. Like, absolutely. I think it's it, no question about it. It's there, but I'm always going to be concerned about the Baltimore Ravens offense. They are a run first team. Yes. They rank, like I said, they rank ninth. They rank ninth in passing attempts last year at six eleven, But I think that's an outlier when we consider part of that was when Lamar Jackson himself, and they had Tyler Huntley back there, but also their defense was banged up. Like all get out what happened during the season. Then the running backs, who were you trusting out there when you have JK Dobbins, Gus Edwards and justice Hill all done for the season. I'm running out there with Devonte Freeman, as my number one guy that year. Like, obviously, I'm going to need to throw the ball a little more, but I don't think that's what Baltimore wants to be. Um, Harbaugh wants to be a very much a running first offense. You have a quarterback who can facilitate that. Now, granted, I still think Lamar Jackson, I think it's a fantastic quarterback. The metrics all show that he is a great passer with the ball, and quite frankly, he just passes the eye test. He's not just a runner, and I'm so sick and tired of everyone saying, eh, he's, he still needs to develop as a quarterback. He's not that good of a thrower. Just stop. You're just telling me you don't watch these games and you're just like picking up on whatever narrative you're seeing flying around on social media at that time. So I think Rashad Babe, no question, is going to be his number one. My concern is that he's not going to see over, I mean, like 120 targets, I think is probably might be out of reach for him. Um, it took a career year for Marquise Brown last season to finally be a, a number one or a guy you can rely on weekly for fantasy football. And I think the other question is too, is what's going to happen with Lamar Jackson and his contract situation? Lamar is entering the final year of his contract. It's been very well talked about. Um, he deserves to get paid. Lamar deserves his money. He's seen other quarterbacks get paid, um, especially like, um, look, just what, just, what, I mean, just go back to Deshaun Watson. What Deshaun Watson did completely reset the entire quarterback market because you could have talked about before that point, talk about Josh Allen. You could have talked about um, Patrick Mahomes and what these guys are getting. What Deshaun Watson did just screwed up the entire market. And guys like Lamar Jackson and especially Justin Herbert, they're just they're rubbing their hands together because they know a Brinks truck or 20 are rolling up to their front door sometime soon. But Lamar Jackson doesn't want to negotiate during the season. Is there a possibility he can move on? Yeah, there's always a possibility. We just came out of one of the craziest off seasons we've ever seen in the NFL. So there's a chance. I still think Lamar Jackson ends up back in Baltimore. But my concern is that Rashad Bateman may never be the wide receiver we all hope he can. I love Rashad Bateman. I think he could be a number one on other teams. I think he could do something similar to what we're seeing T. Higgins doing in Cincinnati alongside Jamar Chase. But until he gets out of this situation, I don't see Rashad Bateman ever becoming that high-end number two that people are aspiring him to be. No matter what town he has, you're still predicated by the volume you're going to get and the style of offense you have. That philosophy does not give us number one in fantasy options. That's my hang up on Rashad Bateman. In 2020, Lamar Jackson averaged 25 pass attempts per game. I mean, what exactly are we hoping to get from Rashad Bateman? It just it doesn't matter how good a player is if the targets aren't there. And he may end up with a 25% target share, but 25% of what? A 25% target share for Rashad Bateman is not the same as a 20% target share from someone like Mike Evans, for example, playing in Tampa Bay's uh, league-leading uh, offense in terms of pass attempts, or 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 Cooper Cup, or 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 on anyone or any, on any player on any offense that throws a lot more than the Ravens, whose goal is to throw the fewest amount of times in the NFL. It, it it's it's an it's annoying, it's frustrating for those who like Bateman as a player, 
but he landed in a great spot for the NFL, but not a great spot for fantasy. Yeah, like, even if he gets a 25% target, because that's always a conversation. I mean, who else are they going to throw to? I, I totally get that, but that's not changing what the Baltimore Ravens are, are inherently are going to do as an offense. A 25% target share of only 25 attempts, that's not really moving the needle that much compared to someone like a Stephon Diggs. You know what I mean? We're comparing these guys. Let's, let's compare them against some of the best that are out there. It just doesn't match up in terms of what these guys are getting. It's just a different slice of the pie considering what other teams are doing in the NFL. So for me, Rashad Bateman, it's a guy that I feel like if someone was really high on him, I could consider selling high on. I'm perfectly fine holding on to him, but that's with the expectations of saying, okay, I don't think he's ever going to be that high-end number two. If he's just a productive mid-to-low wide receiver two, I'm cool with. You know what I mean? I think, for me, I think it's a change more of perception rather than, I think, trying to force him into be something that he's not. Um that's going to be number two for me, Cats. I know you've got another wide receiver here. I think it's interesting because this team just has a ton of question marks as they're kind of changing for the first time in a long time. So who's number three for me? Yeah, it's Chase Claypool. And I, I kind of like Claypool uh, coming out coming out of college. And obviously he had that tremendous rookie year. Uh, just a fantastic season, nine touchdowns. Yeah. Just way better than anyone expected, which has kind of been the mo for anyone the Steelers drafted. They they drafted they drafted Deontay Johnson, and people are like, oh wait, what is this? Who who is he? Is, is is he even that good? Why are they taking this guy out of Toledo? And all of a sudden, he's one of the best receivers in the NFL. But yeah. but Claypool he, he kind of regressed in his second season to an extent. I mean, the volume was <sighs> kind of there. It was the exact yeah. same. He just he just didn't score nine touchdowns. He scored seven fewer touchdowns. And all of his other the quarterback play was a big part of it. You, when you have a guy who is primarily a, a deeper a dot player, like chase Claypool is not a complete receiver. He's not going to run these inward breaking routes that really can kind of get you open in space. He can separate on the outside, but when you had a quarterback who was throwing the ball at the quickest time to throw of anyone in the NFL at 2.34 seconds, and also had the, sh- the second shortest a dot at 6.6 and for intended air yards down the field, that was second lowest behind only Jared Goff it's hard to be a, a guy who specializes in going vertical when you have a quarterback who's not going to be throwing you the ball in those kind of windows. Right. But then the Steelers this year, they drafted George Pickens. And in my humble opinion, I see George Pickens as just a better version of Claypool. He, he does He's more complete. Things. Yeah, exactly. He's a more complete receiver. That's, that's exactly what I was going to say. He, he, can, he can be the downfield stretcher and make those contested catches, but he can also run better routes than Claypool. And if they wanted to use him in the, in the shorter or, or, or mid-range, they could do that too. And my, my fear is that Pickens just takes Claypool's job. Uh, maybe Deontay Johnson is gone and then and then you have – but then then what? Do you have Claypool and Pickens, that two kind of redundant assets as your two outside guys, and, and you don't have that underneath guy? I, I just I, – I'm worried – that Claypool is not part of the Steelers' uh, plans long-term. And I think there's a very real scenario where Claypool kind of just fades away over the next couple seasons. And even his wide receiver four fantasy value right now in dynasty leagues ends up looking like a tremendous value. We've seen this before with guys where we think that, oh, they're ranked in that 36 to 48 range. And uh, at, at worst, th- they'll be there. Next year, and we'll get par value. We'll get someone they can put in the lineup. But it's it's entirely possible that this is the best it's going to get for Claypool. It's entirely possible that his rookie year is the best season we see from him. Um, of course, could end up being wrong. But if I had Claypool, I'd be looking to move him to somebody who's more bullish on him than I am. I'll be honest. I would not be surprised if we have actually seen the ceiling for 
for Chase Claypool. I think that rookie year with the way they were trying to manufacture touches for him, they haven't done that since. And I don't know what he's going to be right now. I do think I would not be surprised if Deontay Johnson does move on. Uh, he's very clearly aware of what the wide receiver market is and how much money is being paid. And it's not necessarily in the Steelers nature to give a massive contract to receivers. They've pretty much only done that one time. And that was with Antonio Brown. So I would not be surprised if he kind of moves on because someone's going to pay that money. And Deontay Johnson is a fantastic receiver. Uh, he's he's so good. So I think you're looking at a chance where, yeah, next year it might be a little more wide open. Um, but, I mean, we're also forgetting, like, they also brought in Calvin Austin. I think he's going to be working in there underneath, kind of in like that Juju Walton-Braver McLeod was kind of doing next year. We kind of see him move up in the depth chart. I'm with you on George, on, uh, George Pickens. I think, for me, he's a more complete receiver. I think if there weren't any concerns about the ACL that he tore uh, while he was still at Georgia, George Pickens could have been – he w- he would have been a Tier 1 receiver in this class. Um, he would have been right up there with, with the best of the best. They got the Steelers lucked out on letting him fall to him. I think he steps in pretty much as their number two, but I think from day one, he is a more complete receiver. Um, that's going to bring me to my next one. I am going to stick with the the wide receivers, and uh, I don't consider this to be a hot take. Do you think it is, Cats? Offhand, because I mean, you know who I'm about to bring up. Is this a hot take? I I don't think so. I, I I'd be surprised if you were the only one who's saying this right now. But it's definitely going to it's it's going to ruffle a couple feathers. I think. I think it is too. Um, the one I'm going to talk about is a guy who probably just had one of the best breakouts of last season. That's going to be Debo Samuel, wide receiver, running back, who the hell knows what he is for the San Francisco 49ers. Last season, Samuel was one of the top stories in fantasy football. No question about it. He was the do-it-all player for the 49ers, and fantasy managers that were lucky enough to snag him on their team ended up with a ridiculous value because he was – Kyle Shanahan's chess piece. Chess piece. You can move around the board. Boom. Put a crown on him, King the Man. Uh, playing in 16 games, Debo Samuel was the number three wide receiver in fantasy football. Along with Cooper Cup and Devontae Adams, they were the only guys that were able to average 20 PPR points per game. But we know how good Samuel was as, as a, a, a pass catcher. Hauled in 63% of his targets, over 1,400 yards, averaging 18.25 yards per catch, which was incredible because he actually had an extremely low A dot. He did all that after the catch where he led the NFL in yards after the reception. Had six touchdowns on his 77 receptions, um, averaging 82.6 point, uh, yards per game. It was the fifth most amongst receivers, but as we know, that all did not come via the air. Rushing nearly 60 times for 365 yards, Samuel set a high a, a NFL record for receivers with eight rushing touchdowns. But if we've listened to the narratives going on this offseason, Debo Samuel's not only requested a trade, but it's he's also unhappy with the way he was used last year. He wants to be a traditional wide receiver, and I don't think we end up seeing the exact same amount of volume that we, we saw last year. I mean, he was so far ahead of expectation on what he did, especially on the ground. Eight rushing touchdowns, on 59 carries, which is under 600 with 365 yards. That's ridiculous. I think last year, the expected rushing touchdown for a running back, it was right around a hundred and I think it was around 165 yards was what the expectation was for a, a what your yardage was for a, for a touchdown is the best way to put it. Debo Samuel was just so far and beyond expectation right now. He's being ranked as like the wide receiver six in fantasy football. And so we have a guy who is not happy the way he was used, but it was also what completely set his value. And then that's also potentially wanting a trade 
but yet we don't know where he's going to go or how that other team would want to use him. He's in the perfect spot right now, but he's also kind of handcuffed because of the use that he has. So there's questions of, can he be a true number one for a team? And I think it, he shows that he probably could. I absolutely do think he could. You don't get 1,400 yards and 14 touchdowns by mistake. That doesn't just happen. But I think for me, it's do I see wide receiver six? I mean, sorry, wide receiver three again in the future? I don't. I, do I think he's going to be the the number six um, ranked wide receiver this season? I kind of don't. For me, I would rather trade down like, Give me a 2023 piece in T Higgins for Debo Samuel. Like, Cause I love T Higgins for me. He's a top 10 receiver, but doesn't get the same type of value that Debo Samuel does. Uh, so for me, it's Debo is a guy I would have no issue, honestly, moving on for the right price, just because I don't think his value will ever be higher than it is right now. And throwing the other question about what's going to happen with this offense. Is it Trey Lance? What happens to this offense? How does that dynamic look without Jimmy Garoppolo under center? Are there some struggles there early on? For me, I just have so many questions that if I can move off Debo Samuel for the right price, despite him still being in his prime at age 26, coming off a career-high season as the breakout candidate that he was last year, I just don't think he ends up improving. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I think you said a lot of things that make a lot of sense there. And the most That's scary. one. <laughs> I know you said a lot of things there. But the most poignant one for me is, is, the, is what you said about trying to trade him for like T Higgins plus. And I think that's the key yeah. here. What you should do with Debo Samuel is Debo Samuel is a whole lot of uncertainty. If you can turn that into a similarly valued certainty, that is much safer for your fantasy team. Cause there's a world where Debo Samuel goes back to being like a, a mid wide receiver too. I don't see that in T Higgins future. I think he is at least a high wide receiver too. And you can probably get, like you said, T Higgins plus, and there are plenty of other guys ranked in that wide receiver eight to like 16 range where you could get them and another piece and you will probably feel better about those guys. Last season, Debo Samuel in weeks 11 and 12, he put up 16.4 fantasy points and 20.8 fantasy points. In those games, he caught one pass. And this is someone who, like you said, does not want to be used as a running back anymore. Combine that with Trey Lance coming in, not only that hurt, does that hurt people the same way as, as a rusher because he's going to take more rushing attempts, but mm-hmm. it hurts him as a receiver, possibly, possibly, because Trey Lance running means fewer targets for everybody else. It's it's kind of goes back to that similar thing with the Rashad yeah. Bateman thing where the overall target share, the target share is of a overall smaller pie, potentially. It's, it's, just, it's just one of the many, many... Uh, uh, risks that are associated with Debo Samuel, which is not to say he's a risky player per se, but there there are a lot of ways in which Debo Samuel doesn't fail, but doesn't reach the perceived value that he has right now. 100% Debo Samuel is not going to fail. Debo Samuel is going to be a great fantasy player for probably years to come. I have zero question. About it. I think he's incredibly talented. He can do whatever you want, as was apparent last year. My whole hangup is like, I just don't think he's going to be the wide receiver three again. And I don't see him coming back in and being ranked this time next year as the wide receiver seven. Especially when we start adding in pieces in from next year, we start talking about the guys like Jackson Smith and Jigba, Kayshawn Boutte, Jordan Addison, um, Quentin Johnston, uh, Josh Downs. Like, we're going to start adding some more of these guys. And to where, like I said, we're going to see the narrative shift again. I just like, I just think the value right now, Debo Samuel, Debo Samuel probably will not be higher than he is right now. Like I said, I bring up T Higgins because quite frankly, if you just look on a per game basis, 
T Higgins is literally CD lamb. It's, it's shockingly similar to, on their per game averages, 7.2 targets, 4.8 receptions, 63.6 yards and 0.4 receptions. That's CD lamb T Higgins, 7.2 targets, 4.7 receptions, 66.6 yards and 0.4 touchdowns. That's T Higgins. They're literally the same. They both had to deal with backup quarterbacks for quite some time, and neither were viewed as the number one options for at least one of their years. Like, they're both incredible values. Like, CeeDee Lamb is fantastic, but T. Higgins should be getting more respect. So, for me, that's what I'm saying. For me, I would love to flip Debo Samuel for T. Higgins because they're both, they're in the almost the same tier for me. Like, they're literally in the same tier, but they're being viewed completely differently in terms of what you can get in, ter- in terms of trade returns. So, that's why for me, like I said, I would love to flip off um, flip down from Debo or flip Debo Samuel. <laughs> I don't want to flip him off, Debo. I actually I like you a lot. I don't want to flip you off. Um, but before I do anything else, that's going to wrap up for today's episode of the Premier Fantasy Football Podcast, powered by Pro Football Network. If you enjoy the show today, feel free to leave a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. It is greatly appreciated and most certainly does help the show grow. Also, continue to stay up to date with the latest news from around the league by heading over to ProFootballNetwork.com, where you can find analysis covering not only fantasy football, but breaking news around the league, college football, betting, and the NFL draft. And also, it's never too late to get involved and start getting your 2023 mock drafts done by using the PFN Mock Draft Simulator, which you can find over at ProFootballNetwork.com slash mock draft. You can follow Jason over on Twitter at JasonCats13 and myself at Tommy PFN. Speaking for Jason, I'm Tommy, and we'll see you guys for another episode of the show.